Welcome to Freedom. It's really good to see you here. To those of you who are joining us online, uh, welcome to Freedom Online. Glad to have you be a part of things that way. Uh, it's always good to see uh, familiar home faces, but it's always great to see new faces in the crowd. And I have uh, got to just pause and say uh, my surprise of the morning was to see two faces I hadn't seen in over a decade, two of my favorite people in the world, who were <laughs> Sean and Laura Dean helped us to plant church on the eastern shore 19 years ago. Sean was one of the founding elders of that church and just dear, dear people. The first time they've ever been able to worship with us at Freedom. So thank you guys for being here today. We're honored by your presence. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to uh, John chapter 14. That's going to be our jumping off point for today. We're in a series uh, that's entitled... Choices that change your life. We're talking about, over the span of about a month, some of the biggest choices that you'll make in your life that really do determine the direction, quality, and outcome of your life. And so we're going to turn our attention today to choosing the right guide for your life. One of the things that's become a habit for Jackie and me that we do every year is the very last week of every year, we leave town. Some of you figured that out. It's like he's never here on the last Sunday of the year, and I'm not. I'm not going to be in the foreseeable future. We always take about four days at the very end of the year and run away. Uh, You know, December's great, and we love all of the trappings of the holidays. But like most of you, by the time you get to the very end of December, we've had enough of uh, people and family and, and just everybody, we just want to get away and have a little bit of time just together. And so we always just leave town for a little while, and we did that again. This year, we don't always go to the same place. This year, we went someplace we had never been together before, someplace she had never been, and I hadn't been in 35 years. I only visited it once, and that is we went to Boston. So we didn't know our way around, uh, just didn't didn't know in advance of planning that trip, didn't know anything about where to, to go and what to do and see. And I'm using this for a reason, but I want you to just think in terms of the times when you've done that. When you've gone away to a place completely unfamiliar to you, you go to a new city, how are you going to decide what to take in in that city? We've got four days in a place totally unfamiliar. you basically got four choices. You can, first of all, choose to just roam around on your own and just wander around and see what you get into. Good luck with that. You know, you're going to miss most of the good stuff, and you may get in on some bad stuff just wandering around, but some people will try that route. That is not my plan. The second option is you can get a map. You can find your way around with a map, and I spent a good bit of time studying a map of the city to try and figure out where to stay and what to do. You can't do too much with a map if you've never been to a place before. You can look at a map and still wind up in bad places because a map doesn't tell you much. A third choice is you can get a guidebook, and there are a lot of those in the bookstore. And they'll tell you everything you can imagine about the place. But if you've ever taken that route before, have you ever noticed how overwhelming that is? You've got four days to see a city and a book this thick on everything to see in the city. And it's like, I don't even want to go there because I just feel lost and overwhelmed. Okay, now there's 300 things I need to see, and I'm only going to have time for five. So that's an option. It's just not one I'm crazy about. But there is a fourth option, and that is when you go to a new place that's totally unfamiliar, you can find a personal guide who knows the city who's going to take you to the right places, get you in the right restaurants, make sure you stay in the right hotel, and let you see the sides of the city that you'd never have found on your own. 
that's the way to go. And let me tell you, we did it right this time around. First of all, Jackie's got two friends, both of whom have spent a lot of time in Boston, and so she picked their brains before we ever left, where to eat, what part of town to be in, and all that kind of stuff. One of them's got a son that lives there, so we got the inside scoop there. But let me tell you, we went one step beyond that that was so much better. We did a guided tour thing that's a real personalized deal. It wasn't just for us, but there were only six or eight of us. Some of you have done this before. Let me tell you, I'll do it for the rest of my life when I go to a new city. It was a guided food tour. Oh, we spent hours walking around eating everywhere we went. You hear from somebody who's lived there forever. You hear all the history of the city. You see all these places you wouldn't have seen. Best of all, you get taken into all of these restaurants where they're waiting for you to serve it. Oh, where has this been all my life? It was so good. We discovered so many good foods and neat places because we had a personal guide who was there to answer our questions and make this such a different kind of personal experience. Now, I say all of that just to say that is a picture just, just that whole idea of going to a place that you're not familiar with and trying to figure out how am I going to navigate this? How am I going to find my way around? That is a picture of what we all have to do in life. Every day, every week, you're in new territory. And you've got to decide how am I going to navigate this? And tragically, in my experience, it seems that most people have chosen option A. Well, I'm just going to kind of roam around and fumble around, and hopefully I'll figure it out. I'll find the right places to go and the right things to do, and I'll make the right choices. And the truth of the matter is you miss out on most of the good stuff in life if that's your plan. Some people will opt for something that looks more like options B or C, where they'll let somebody or some self-help book or some guru out there sort of give them a direction in life. And you'll find some important things along the way doing that, but you'll still miss out. And, and I don't want you to get offended by what I'm about to say, but I, I grew up in church. And honestly, growing up in the Baptist church that I grew up in, we kind of went with option C on the whole thing of having a guide for life. And that is we chose to use the guide book, and that is the scriptures. Now, that is a really important part of finding the right direction in life. But if we're just real honest with each other, wouldn't you agree if all you have is just the Bible to navigate through life, you're going to still have a lot of problems. It's not because there are great shortcomings in the Bible. I mean, the Bible is truth from one end to the other. But as you're just going through life this week, if the only thing you have is the book, think about the specific circumstances, encounters that you're going to bump into are you going to run back to the book and find the page that tells you whether or not to do this or that or, i mean it, it's complicated to just live only by a book but here's the really cool thing god gives us much more than just the guidebook we need the book it's like no other but he gives us something far beyond that he gives this, us the opportunity to have a personal guide for every day for the rest of our lives. And unfortunately, as much as I was in church, I wasn't taught much about having a personal guide for life in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we want to press into today. Choosing the right guide for your life and not settling for anything less than having the voice of God speaking personally to you every day to help you navigate all of the roads of life. So let's turn to the scriptures now in John 14, 
This is the night that Jesus is betrayed. The next day he'll be murdered. And in talking to his disciples about what's ahead, he says in John 14:12, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Of all the incredible things Jesus ever said, this may be the most preposterous sounding. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, what did he just say? They've watched Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, calm the storms. I mean, all of the incredible things that he's done. And then Jesus throws this out on his last night before he goes to the cross and says, you know, all the stuff that I've been up to, you're going to do that same stuff and even greater stuff. How do you do that? Tell me that's not the the wildest, boldest thing Jesus ever said to his followers. You're going to do bigger things than that. How could that possibly be? He explains how. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. By the way, that's what it's all about. We think it's, it's all about our need or other people's needs. It's all about God's glory. Jesus is willing to do all of these incredible things ultimately so that the Father gets glory as his will is fulfilled in the world. And he says, if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. How's that going to happen? Well, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth, this Holy Spirit. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I know that had to be disturbing and unfamiliar territory for them because they're not really familiar with the concept of the Holy Spirit at this point. And Jesus is saying, that's okay. He's going to be really familiar because ultimately it's going to be me living in you. When he comes and fills you, it's going to feel so right because you have become so familiar with me and with my voice. And then he goes on in the same uh, conversation two chapters later in chapter 16. goes on to say, but I tell you, this is in your sermon notes, I tell you that I'm going to do what is best for you. This is why I'm going away. The Holy Spirit cannot come to help you until I leave. But after I'm gone, I'll send the Spirit to you. The Spirit shows what is true and will come and guide you into the full truth. It's this wonderful picture. I'm going to send you somebody really familiar because ultimately it is my spirit. It is my life being poured into you. And he's the one who's going to guide you in everything. I know Jesus' words had to be so incredibly troubling because for six months now, ever since they've turned back from Caesarea Philippi and headed toward Jerusalem, Jesus has been saying all of these incredibly unsettling things about how I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners and the, the scribes and the Pharisees are going to arrest me. They're going to torture me. They're going to kill me. But I'll be raised from the dead. And the disciples are just baffled and troubled by all of this. And Jesus is to the point, now it's all come to a head. It's going to happen in the next 24 hours. And Jesus says, I want you to understand what is about to happen. It's better for you. The fact, not just the fact that I'm going to the cross, but the fact that I'm fixing to leave you. Don't you know the disciples are going, it can't be better for you to leave us. I mean, what are we going to do without you here? And Jesus says, oh no, it's going to be a far better deal when I'm gone back into heaven. Because when I go, the Father then is going to send the Spirit who constantly proceeds from both of us to know the Spirit and to have the Spirit is to have the Father and the Son in you. And everywhere you go, 
Every situation you encounter, the things that are bigger than you, the things that are harder than what you could possibly figure out, solve, or overcome, you're going to be able to because I'm going to be living in you wherever you go. As you go in 12 different directions, I'll be in all of those places. I've thought so many times in my life in reading the scriptures, oh, if I just could have been there when Jesus was on earth to see God in the flesh, to hear his voice, to to watch him in action. And the longer that I've lived, the more I've become convinced, as wonderful as that was, we live in an even grander age. Jesus wasn't just boasting when he said, greater things are going to happen after I'm gone because my spirit will be in you. He's going to guide you. He's going to work powerfully through you, and it will be better. I mean, think what it would be like today if Jesus had just stuck around for a couple of thousand years and the spirit had never come. God is on earth. The power of God is on earth. But he's in Minneapolis this week, so you're going to have to go way up in the cold north to see him. I think tomorrow he's going to be in Buenos Aires. Uh, Tuesday he'll be in Berlin. And uh, Wednesday he'll be in Johannesburg. So good luck catching up with him. Because he can only be in one place at one point in time when he was here in the flesh. How much better is it that in this moment of time, the spirit of Jesus is here and here and here and here and here. And he's all over Fairhope and the eastern shore and the U.S. and around the globe. And he's working powerfully and personally changing lives, giving direction, pulling people up out of the pit all over the place, not just at one point on the globe. That's good news. And here's the good news for you. The same spirit that empowered Jesus, yes, Jesus was a man who needed the power of the Holy Spirit when he was on earth. The same spirit that guided Jesus, that empowered Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, lives in you. And he wants to be your personal guide for every moment of the rest of your life. Some of you are really familiar with that reality and you've been walking in it for a long time. And for some of us, we've been in church for a long time and that is a new concept. Actually being dialed into the voice of Jesus and the power of Jesus working in us. How does that work? How, how does he do that? What is it that he's wanting to do in terms of being our guide? And, and how actually does he work that out? And then how do we tap into that? Those are the questions we want to answer in the time that we have remaining. So if you've got your outline, I want to invite you to pull that out and follow along as we dive into. First, we're going to just spend most of our time talking about six ways that the Holy Spirit wants to guide us. Because as we're learning to dial into his voice and what he's saying and doing, it will help if initially we just understand what it is that he does in terms of speaking and, and working and guiding. So six ways the Holy Spirit wants to guide us. He helps me to, first of all, to know what I need to know. Jesus said he will guide you into all the truth. Everybody say all the truth. He wants to guide you in all the truth. You know that there are certain things in life that if you don't know them, you'll fail. Now, some of those are like big, broad truths that if you don't know it, you're going to be in a lot of trouble, and, and those are important. But I'm talking about your life. There are certain things that if you personally don't know, you're in a lot of trouble. And here's the really scary thing. A bunch of those you'll never figure out, not on your own. You're going to encounter situations that if you don't know the truth truth that is beyond you just figuring out you're going to be in hot water 
and you cannot figure it out. But the Holy Spirit wants to be the voice of truth that speaks timely words to you and gives you exactly what you need to know so that you don't screw it up in that moment. And he's been doing that for a long time. You may just have not recognized what he was saying. That's a troubling thing to realize how many times the spirit of truth was speaking truth. And I did one of two things. I either ignored it or I heard it and acted on it. And we had, I sure am glad I figured that out. Yeah, how many times have we done that? It just came to me. I'm just, I'm glad I was sharp-witted enough to figure that out. Don't you know the Lord's just shaking his head going, you poor sad fool. You think you figured it out. He tells us what we need to know. You ever just had a, a sermon or a passage just really speak to you for that day? You read something, and in that moment it didn't mean a whole lot. And then you bumped into something that day or that week, and you just went, oh, my goodness. That's exactly what I was reading about this morning. In the, or maybe in an article even. I mean, God can speak through a lot of different things. How many times have you left a worship service and thought, my word, I think that was a sermon that was just for me. It really gets comical as a pastor the number of times that people will get that look on their faces and they're like, I don't know how you knew what was going on in my life. I mean, like I've had people a couple of times come out of church upset. I've had people a lot of times come out upset, but I mean, a couple of times, yeah. But a couple of times I've had people come out upset and like, I, I got to talk to you. I I mean, i got to talk to you right now and pull me aside. And, What's up? I just got a note. When did my wife talk to you? I don't know what you're talking about. No, seriously, I mean, like, when did, my, when did my husband talk to you? I don't know what you're talking about. You would not have preached what you, I mean, yeah, that was really specific. There's no way you preached that unless my spouse talked to you. When did they talk to you? I have not talked to your spouse, and I don't know what's going on in your life. I mean, we've all had those encounters where it's like, oh, my goodness, you couldn't have just stumbled on that. Well, it's not because I'm super smart, and it's not coincidence. That's the Holy Spirit. He knows where we are. He knows what we need, and he tells us what we need to know when we need to know it. And he can use so many different ways of, of doing that. It, like I said, it may be the Scriptures. It may be a sermon. It may be something that, that you, you know, a video that you see. It's crazy some of the things that, that he'll use. I, as I was thinking about that this week, I remembered a point in time several years ago when Jackie and I were dating. She was several years down the line from a divorce. I was as well. And we were falling in love, but we were still working through our own junk, your own brokenness and, and just the pain of all the, the stuff from the past and trying to figure out what does the future look like, and, and are we supposed to be together? And and I just remember hitting a point in time in that where because of my own brokenness and and just the difficulty of learning to do life with somebody else again, I was just having a, a crisis of just feeling like maybe we just need to go in different directions. Maybe this isn't a good idea. I just don't know if I can try again. I don't know if I can trust again. And, and I was not at a good place. And a secular song came on the radio. Not a spiritual word in that song, and yet there was one line in that song that it was a holy moment hearing that. And I knew it was the voice of the Holy Spirit. It was it was the line. Don't be offended, baby. It, it was the line. 
It was the line, every rose has its thorn. Now, now all right, don't, don't hurt, don't make me look bad here, but, uh, it, you know, it was one of those moments I was getting hung up on something simple. And the Holy Spirit was just saying through that simple line of a song, I have given you a rose. I have given you a beautiful thing because of your own brokenness. You're trying to, you know, pull back and run away. See the beauty of what I've given you and stop imagining that anything is perfect. Everything in life has got its thorns. Everything is hard. Every good thing is going to have some pain involved. I'm telling you, as silly as that one, as that song is and that one line is, but the Holy Spirit spoke in that moment. I'd heard that song a bunch of times before, but I heard the Holy Spirit whisper a line of truth out of that. He will tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. And sometimes you'll be shocked to the ways that he'll speak that. That's called Revelation. And it's profound when it happens. Most of you who've been around for a while know, know that last year I went through a, a really weird season where I, I didn't feel in crisis mode. But, I mean, most people would say it was a health crisis because you got it when your doctor is saying again and again, essentially, I think you have a really bad form of cancer. And, you know, they kept sending me to more doctors and more tests and more tests and it drug on for six months. At first, that was really unsettling. I mean, the first few days of that, it was you, you just are asking a lot of questions in prayer and wondering where that's going to lead. And God spoke a timely word in that. Spoke a very personal word. That this was going to turn out fine. That I was going to have a long and fruitful life. That this was going to work out for his glory. Now he did not fill in the blanks between where I was and that outcome. I didn't know if between A and B if there was going to have to be you know, chemo and surgery and all kinds of other things. And we went through months of not knowing. Still don't have answers to all, the, all of that stuff, but we're not worried about it anymore. The, the Lord's already spoken over that. The oncologist has given up. He just finally said, quit coming to see me. I, I don't think I'm ever going to solve this. And I'm like, I don't care. The Lord already spoke over this a long time ago and said, here's what the outcome is going to be. God gives you what you need when you need it. And so we've just been able to walk in faith and joy in that and go, the, the outcome is good. Regardless of what it takes to get there, it'll be okay because God's already spoken. God will tell you what you need to know. In Luke 2, there's this sweet little story added into the coming of Jesus into the world about Simeon. Simeon's a nobody in history. But he was a somebody in God's eyes. This old guy who had been faithful to the Lord, and he knew the voice of the Holy Spirit in his life. Though countless people had been waiting generation after generation after generation for the coming of the Messiah and had not seen him come, Simeon had a word from the Lord that he would see the coming of the Messiah. Luke 2.26 is it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he ends up getting to, as we're going to see in just a moment. But he knew it in advance because of a revelation. God told him what he needed to know. And God loves to do that. He'll give little nudges and insights in advance in a timely way. The second thing he'll do is he helps me to get where I need to go. Tell me what I need to know. Help me to get where I need to go. There are some places in life that you need to get to, but places that you cannot get to on your own. And God loves to give you pictures of those. 
in your mind. He'll give you a word or a picture of what it is he wants to do. He's giving a fresh revelation of what he has planned for your life and how you fit into his kingdom work. And we get all excited when we receive that, don't we? I mean, isn't that good when you know God's given you a fresh word of what is yet to come? And it's big and it's wonderful and it's God-sized. And, and in that moment, though, there's this awful realization of, oh, my goodness, I have no idea how to get from here to there. I mean, that is so good. That would be wonderful if that ever happened. But I don't have the resources. I don't have the connections to ever get there. Again, here's where the Holy Spirit comes in. He shows you how to get from where you are to that dream, desire, or vision that God's put on you. So we need the Holy Spirit's guidance about how to get from here to there. When it comes to your career, when it comes to getting married and having babies and doing ministry, we gave the example of Simeon and him getting a word from the Lord about seeing the the Messiah, but there's no way you can manufacture that. I mean, God's got to make that happen, and now he's an old man. But in the very next verse, Luke 2.27, it says, The Spirit led Simeon to the temple, and when he got to the temple, guess who he saw walking in? Mary and Joseph with a newborn baby Jesus to be dedicated to the Lord. And in that moment, he knew exactly who he was looking at. And he he begins to prophesy over Jesus the incredible world change have. How did he get there? He's probably sitting at home watching Jeopardy, doing his crossword puzzle. And in, in that moment that the Holy Spirit nudged him and said, you, you need to go to the temple. Well, it ain't my day to go to the temple. You need to put on your crossword puzzle and turn off Alex Trebek, and you need to get to the temple because there's something important going down today. And he gets there, and the Spirit led him to where he needed to be, when he needed to be there. And Mary and Joseph are blown away because here's this total stranger saying, This is the one who's going to change all of history. You're holding a world changer in your hands because the Holy Spirit had spoken to him. The scripture is full of stories like this. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is led by the Spirit. He's told, and I love this because I can relate to it. He's just told initially, you go down to the the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Go. He didn't know why he's going. He didn't know who he's meeting. He's just told where to go. And he's faithful. He goes. It's a long road, and man, it is some barren territory. Down there. You don't want to go to Gaza today. It's not a pretty place. It wasn't back then. He's hanging out on the road that leads to Gaza. What do you do here? Well, you wait, and now a chariot comes by. There's a guy in the chariot, and the Spirit says to Philip, go up to that char- chariot and stay near it. Don't you know that felt pretty silly? Now he's jogging along beside a chariot. <laughs> hey, what's up? Now what do I do? Well, just pay attention. And he realizes the guy in the chariot is reading from the Isaiah scroll, and he's reading a very specific prophecy about Jesus. Oh, this is starting to feel like a God moment. He asks, and he used to come up in the chariot, he says, do you know who you're reading about? And the guy's like, how am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to make sense of this? And he says, oh, let me tell you about it. And he shares with this man, who is one of the, the key advisors and leaders in, to the queen in Ethiopia. And he ends up leading the guy to faith in Jesus. He explains all this just happened in Jerusalem. The man places his faith in Jesus, and, and there's water up ahead. He's like, I, I want in on this. How about if we just use this water and you baptize me right now? The gospel, because of this encounter, the gospel is taken for the first time to Africa. Do you know that the oldest Christian churches in Africa are Ethiopian churches? You know why? 
Because Philip heard the voice of the Spirit saying, go down to the road that leads to Gaza. What am I going to do there? You'll find out. Just go. It's where you need to go. And when he got there, he heard the nudge of the Holy Spirit inside saying, see that chariot over there? Just go get near it. And as he was obedient to these little promptings of where to be, the gospel gets taken to a whole new continent. The Spirit will not only tell you what you need to know, he'll tell you where you need to go. And when this is happening, the cool thing about it is what we're doing is essentially the spiritual equivalent of catching a wave. It's sort of sad how many times in life we feel the need to make a wave. We, we want to make something happen. And so a lot of times we'll do foolish stuff to try and manufacture it. And the truth of the matter is you don't get to make a wave. God is the one who, who makes waves. Jackie and I, we love California. We go there as often as we can. One of the things I love to do is to watch the surfers in Southern California get out there and ride the waves. And I'd kill myself if I did it. I'm not about to get out there and try it. I have a hard enough time just on land. But they, you know, they get out there and, and they get in position just beyond where the waves break. And they essentially just just tread water. You know, and They're just holding themselves where they are just beyond where the waves break. And what are they doing? They're just waiting for the right wave to come along. And they can't make that happen. They just have to stay out there and just wait as long as is necessary until the right wave comes. And then they paddle and they jump on and they just ride the wave. They don't manufacture anything. They just wait and ride what God creates. And that's a picture of what we have to learn to do in life. I mean, think about it. Philip, he's just out there beyond where the waves break, just, just positioning himself where he's supposed to be. God said, just go to the Gaza Road. All right, I'm on the Gaza Road, and I'm just kind of treading water, just sort of, just sort of waiting for the wave of what God's going to do. Well, I sense God's up to something here. Oh, my goodness, here's a stranger from a foreign country reading Scripture. I think this might be a wave. And he begins to paddle up into that wave, and something begins to happen. And before you know it, you're riding a big one. This is a picture of what happens again and again in our lives. God is the only one who gets to make waves that are powerful. So many times in life and in churches, there, I don't know of anybody worse about trying to manufacture waves than pastors. Pastors will run to conferences and listen to stories of the waves that other churches are riding in other places and try and figure out how do we run back and we'll mimic that and we'll make a wave where we are and it always goes... In six months, they're just as frustrated and needing a new conference. When you try and manufacture waves, you don't get to make them. You tune into what God is doing and you ride what God is doing. The last church that we planted, church on the eastern shore that's now three circle, the way that that thing grew was not because we were better or smarter or anything. That was a wave that we rode. What God's doing right here at Freedom Church, we're not manufacturing anything. We're just riding what God is doing. And you don't have to manufacture a bunch of stuff. It's not on us to make it happen. We ride what he's doing. The results are beautiful when we tap into what he's doing, and they're disastrous when we don't. I, don't, I may have shared this with you before, but... I don't watch a lot of reality TV, but there are a couple of different reality shows that Jackie and I watch. And one of them that we've gotten hooked on in the last couple of years that when I first was exposed to it, I thought, this is ridiculous. I wouldn't want to watch this. And now I'm totally hooked on it. It's Married at First Sight. Have you ever seen it before? 
I mean, when I first heard the concept, I'm like, that's the dumbest thing in the world. And it is. <laughs> the, the concept is. But the show is very interesting because I, I am a student of human behavior. And, oh, this gives you real insight into human behavior. If you're not familiar with the show, what they do is they, they take three. This season they're up to four couples. And it literally is the equivalent of a blind date. But they don't start with a date. They start at the altar. They let the, the love experts do all the research, and then they pair people up. They find people that they think are perfectly suited for each other, and they're big weddings and everything. But the the couple don't ever get to correspond, see each other's pictures, know each other's names, nothing. The first time they see each other is at the altar with all of their family and friends there to witness it. They go through the vows, and then they start from scratch at that point. And they send camera crews to monitor day and night the next seven weeks to see how total strangers would do if experts put them together. And one of the interesting things about it is when you follow this, you realize everybody got there essentially the same way. Every one of them got so burned out on trying to figure out or discern where to go in life in terms of relationships, and they've given up, and they've decided, I need a guide. I need somebody else to do for me what I could not do for myself. And they all, at some point along the way, will say the same thing in the in this story, in the, in the show. I'm just trusting that the experts know what they're doing and that they've put me with the right person. And so they track for seven weeks, and then they sort of manufacture a moment at the end. It's been seven weeks. Are you going to stay married or get a divorce? And I'll go ahead and cut to the chase for those of you who didn't watch the show. Most of them will say at seven weeks, we're going to stay married, and then they get a divorce. <laughs> I mean, on the show, they stay married, but then you read the behind-the-scenes stuff online, and they all get divorced. I mean, like they've done years of this show. I don't know how many seasons they've made now, and of all the couples they've ever followed, I, what is it, three couples that so far are still married today. And I'm not saying that to celebrate failure. What I'm saying is it is a picture of what happens when we try and manufacture something. I'm so frustrated. I want a husband. I want a wife. And I just can't find them. I think I'll let the experts lead me to one. And the experts do all the stuff to pair the right people up, and the net result is failure. And I confess, the thing that's sort of compelling about the show after a while is you just watch a train wreck in slow motion because it's like, this ain't going to work. And it doesn't. But, you know, they start out, they all start saying, oh, they're wonderful. The experts were great. They've just given me the perfect person. I'm so crazy about them. And within seven weeks, they just all want to kill each other. You know, it's a, it is crazy in that regard, but it is a picture of what happens when we try and manufacture a wave and use a different guide. Train wreck. The Holy Spirit wants to tell you what you need to know and lead you where you need to go and provide the power of the wave. The third thing he'll do, though, is he'll lead you to say the right things. Boy, do I need that because I'll mess it up. Do you ever find yourself in conversations where you realize in that moment, I don't have a clue what to say? Maybe it's at a funeral or a graveside. Maybe it's at a hospital. Maybe it's it's when a friend just calls you and tells you something awful that's happened. My spouse just left me. I just, you know, somebody just got a terrible diagnosis and I don't know what to do. Or they ask you a question that's so much bigger than what you understand and you just feel like, oh, no. I don't have a clue how to answer something like that. When the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you learn to depend on him and listen for his voice. He gives you the words in that moment. And sometimes you'll almost be wide-eyed going, what is this coming out of my mouth and where is it coming from? 
Jesus spoke to this in Matthew 10 when he said, don't worry about what to say or how you should say it. At that time, you will be given the words to say, and it will not really be you speaking. The Spirit will be speaking through you. It's so incredible when that happens, isn't it? The truth of the matter is the Spirit of God's probably spoken through you way more times than you realize. And it blessed somebody else in a big way because of his voice. It's just like all those times when you were in church and you felt like I was talking just to you. That was just the Holy Spirit talking in those moments. He's done the same thing through you in your life. Now, God can do that in the moment, and he often does, just giving you what's needed. But I will tell you this, too. I am convinced, particularly for those of us who are in positions where we teach or preach or lead, I do firmly believe this, that God blesses preparation in terms of speaking into other people's lives. And you can land where you want to on this, but I really just at times have gotten exhausted with people who want to act as though the people who are really into the voice of the Spirit are the ones who don't prepare. They just wait and show up and just see what God wants to say. Can I just tell you, God is so familiar on Monday with what he wants to do on Sunday that he, it is not any stretch for him to bless the person who is praying and studying and waiting and listening on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday for what's coming ahead. I spend a lot of time studying and preparing and listening and rehearsing. And it's funny how many times people will say, man, that was speaking just to me. Well, the cool thing is God knew what you needed on that day. And he knew it a week in advance and a month and a year in advance. And it wasn't coincidental that I had to spend some time waiting and listening and preparing and praying. So there, there is a part in what we do where preparation is important. And along the way, yes, he calls a lot of audibles on things. I prepare a lot for Sunday. And I rehearse what I'm going to say on Sunday. And every Sunday, there's a bunch of stuff that I say that was prepared, and there's a bunch of stuff that I say that wasn't prepared. And you figured that out a long time ago because sometimes that doesn't land well. But some of those things are words that God gives in the moment. So it's good to prepare, and it's good to be tuned into what God's saying in the moment. Sometimes you're going to get nudges in the moment of God just telling you, just call and check on this person. Just text this person, and you're like, I don't know what's going on with him. You're still just supposed to reach out. Reach out in that moment. Just say something. Sometimes he's going to nudge you to go up to a stranger in public and just ask a question like, is there anything that I could do for you? Is there anything I could pray for you right now? Just just go with it, even though you don't know the person, because he's giving you what to say. A fourth thing that the, that the Holy Spirit will help you do is he'll help you to recognize God's perfect timing. Boy, if you've zoned out, zone back in for this, because this is so important. Timing is everything. In baseball, timing is the difference between being a Hall of Fame pitcher and spending all of your career in the minors. It's about timing. And I want to tell you, timing is critical in being a follower of Jesus. You may want to put this note down, and just, just so you can go back and refer back to it. You can do the right thing at the wrong time, and it's not going to work. I'm going to say that one again. You can do the right thing. And by the right thing, I mean you can do the thing that God put in your heart to do. And you do it outside of his timing and it will fail. I know because I've done it a bunch of times. 
there is a process in terms of how God reveals himself. And we better get tuned into the whole process. The first part of the process, there's three steps. The first step is this. God gives a revelation about what it is that he wants to do. And that's the woohoo, go Jesus moment. When he shows you, you're going to get married to this person. You're, you're going to have this in life. You're going to do this in ministry. You're going to do this in your career. When we begin to catch a glimpse of the greatness of what God wants to do or the impact he wants to have through you, that's exciting. But there's two more really important steps. The second step is, at some point along the way, he starts to show you how he's going to do that. Now, that sounds exciting, too. It's usually not. You know why it's not? Because the way that he's going to do it is not how you thought he was going to do it. In fact, usually you figure out how it should be done and do the opposite, and you about hit on God's way right there. We're still not home yet. He's shown you what he's going to do. He's shown you how he's going to do it. There's a third huge piece that's still missing. The third part of God's revelation is he shows you the timing for when it needs to happen. If you don't wait for this, you will blow it. Timing is everything. See, and you guys, is just it gives me so many flashbacks to when we launched a church for the very first time. I didn't know beans about launching a church. But two or three years before we ever planted church on the eastern shore, I remember the day that just out of nowhere, like a lightning bolt, nobody else in the room, God for the first time put it on my heart to be a church planter. Never for one minute in seminary had I thought about being a church planter. That sounded gross and hard, just unpleasant. Didn't want to do it until the day that God started speaking in my life about that. And suddenly my heart's racing and I'm like, that could be pretty incredible. For the next two or three years, I'm thrilled at realizing God didn't just call me to be a pastor. He called me to be a planter. And so, man, I'm one to figure things out. I always got to figure out a solution. So I start trying to figure out how to do this. Well, you need a church that's going to send you. You're going to need a team, a launch team to go with you. You're going to need financing in place. You're going to need a sponsor church. You're going to need to put on an event to attract people for the first time. You're going to need publicity. You're going to need all of those things. Seeking the Lord, listening, listening, listening. God goes, I have a plan. And that ain't it. Let me tell you, that was not his plan. You want to know what God's plan ended up being? I'm going to plant you in a church that goes through a church split that polarizes everybody. And it was a split that happened under the guise of we're going to plant a new church. Well, a plant didn't happen. A split happened. So suddenly the church climate has become one where you want to talk about being a church plant. We're going to hang you from a tree close by. Because we don't believe in these people who say they're going to be a church plant. They want to split the church. And the Lord says, I, I'm going to send you from a place that it looks like the least fertile ground you could ever be planted from because they're paranoid about anything that's called church planting. So you don't get a sponsor church. You don't get a launch team. You don't get any money in place. You just get to go when I say go. Well, that just doesn't sound like a good plan at all. The timing sure better be right. God's, got it. God's going, yep, I've got a plan for the timing. In God's timing, I am not stretching this thing. The Lord is my witness. Just in terms of what we were going through in life at that time, I don't remember what had happened in the summer of 2000, but we had a bunch of expenses, and it drained us to the lowest point we had been financially in ages. We had $500. I don't know if I've ever shared this with anybody before. We had $500 in the bank at that point in time. I mean, we were we were that close to broke. $500 wouldn't even pay the next mortgage at that point. And God said, ding, 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 now it's time. 
resign your position, leave your income, your benefits, and everything, and now go launch a church. Seriously? We've been waiting for years for you to show us how to do this. God, this has got to be the worst church planting plan ever created. And of all the times you could send us, this is the worst month I can remember in the last five years. And God said, ready, set, go. So we resigned in August of 2000 and stepped out and hopped on a wave and rode it for the next 11 and a half years. And by the time we left... Eleven and a half years later, there were 3,000 people connected to that church meeting in five services on three campuses with the worst church planting plan you could ever dream up. But at the end of the day, it's not about us formulating the perfect plan. It is about riding the wave of what God is doing and getting in on his plan and his timing. And do you know why he loves to do things like that? Because only one person can get the credit for that. If I had come up with that plan, you should tell me you were the dumbest church planter that has ever planted a church. Because that's not the way you'd plan it. Timing and God's way are so critical. You may want to make a note of this thought as well. God gives his best to those who wait for his timing. You want a mate to spend the rest of your life with? You better wait for his timing. Otherwise, you'll wind up in a lot of pain. You better wait for God's timing for your career, for your ministry, what you're going to do with your life. Paul said in Galatians 5, 5, and the Spirit helps us feel sure as we wait for that hope. The waiting is the hardest part, isn't it? When you have a sense of what God wants to do, but he hasn't said it's time for it yet, and we wait. And he says, I give you the Spirit to help you just be confident God's going to bring it to pass. It's amazing some of the things that he puts in our hearts that we wait years for. God told me I was going to be a pastor way more than a dozen years before I ever pastored anything. And I kept trying to, in my mind, manufacture ways for that to happen. God's timing is always right, no matter how long you have to wait for it. So let me ask you, what are you waiting for in life? What is it that's been put in your heart? You long for it. You can see it, but you're still waiting for it. And are you talking to the Holy Spirit while you're waiting? The fifth thing the Spirit helps us do is to resist things that we normally couldn't resist. And aren't you glad? If you listen to the Holy Spirit, he'll help you to resist the urges and the drives, the compulsions and temptations that usually beat you. Paul in Galatians 5 talks about how we as Christians, we've all got two natures that are warring inside of us. There's a nature that wants to please God and act like a son or daughter of God. And there's, there's still the fleshly side of us that wants to live for pleasure in what I want. And he says these two ways of life are antithetical so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? What does a law-dominated existence look like? I can tell you real simply. It's just a long list of rules. You don't do this, and you don't do this, and you don't do this. It's easy to come up with a list, and the truth of the matter is you can keep 90% of the stuff on that list. Feel pretty good about yourself, but it's that other 5 or 10% that's your area of weakness, that your flesh is so strong in, and it just wears you out. And it doesn't matter how much you try and reinforce the rules, it just kicks your behind. And so you feel like you just flip-flop back and forth between, I'm living a life that pleases God. I'm in the gutter because I just keep 
fouling up in this part of my life. And Paul said, I'll tell you what, you can tap into the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit and learn to have victory, and it's not by having stiffer rules. It is by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit who enables you to overcome drives, compulsions, and temptations that have just worn you out. So if you're exhausted from trying to use willpower to, to control your anger or your lustful thoughts or your spending urges or your eating urges or your whatever drive that just is your weak area, I want to tell you there is freedom to be had and it's not through stiffer rules. You see, what's special about Celebrate Recovery as compared to all the other 12-step programs out there? All the 12-step programs are positive and good. It's just that all the secular ones are missing the source of the power. The Celebrate Recovery holds on to the roots of the 12-step plan, which was a biblical plan, and that is that the Spirit of God gives you a power beyond yourself to do what you could never do on your own. He enables you to overcome these controlling urges and to heal these broken things in us that you can't fix. Praise God for that. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, If you're guided by the Spirit, you won't fulfill the selfish desire of your sinful nature. So whatever your area of weakness, anger, alcohol, sex, money, drugs, the power of the Holy Spirit has the ability to keep you day by day. Now, he won't keep those things from looking attractive. Whatever your weak area is, that stuff's still probably going to look good. That's, that's the challenge in this. Be wonderful if he just made those desires go away, but we wouldn't stay nearly as dependent if he did that. You'll probably still feel attracted to things, but remember, attraction isn't sin. Action is sin. The Holy Spirit will, in the midst of your attraction, give you a power to not let attraction turn into action. And then six, and finally, the Holy Spirit just helps you to avoid danger and mistakes. He is your shield, your protector, your defender, and it is his job to protect you. And usually he does that by going, nope, don't do that. Hold off. I can't tell you how many times in my life as my protector, the Holy Spirit has just said, don't hit send. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're having a text exchange. And it's, you're just, your heart's getting a little faster and a little faster. I can't believe they said that. You know, you're just typing away. I can't tell you how many times my thumb has been coming down on the button and the Holy Spirit just said, don't. Sometimes I have listened and sometimes I have not. I have always regretted when I did not. How many times in life has the Holy Spirit saved you by going, don't go out with that person. Don't, don't take that job. Pass on that irresistible, can't-lose opportunity. Don't make that call. Don't answer that private message. And in so doing, he protected you from calamity. He protected you from a lot of pain. If we dial into the voice of the Holy Spirit, he will help us to avoid danger and mistakes. Acts 21 gives us the example when Paul was headed for Jerusalem, and there was no way he could know that there was a group of people plotting his murder there. And along the way, God spoke through some other believers. The Holy Spirit had told them to warn Paul not to go to Jerusalem because of what was waiting for him there. Now, that's a lot of good stuff, isn't it? Going to tell you what you need to know, tell you where you need to go, what you need to say, give you God's timing, 
help you to resist what you couldn't resist, to help you to avoid danger and mistakes. But how does that happen? Now, I know I'm about out of time, so I'm going to cover this really quickly. There are a lot of different ways the Holy Spirit does this stuff to guide us. He, I mean, we could probably list 10 or 12 ways. He, he speaks a lot of times through wise counsel. He can speak through dreams and visions, through circumstances, and interpreting those to us through miracles. But there are three ways that I just want you to remember here today that stand out. One is by revealing the meaning of Jesus' words and, and, and what God is speaking to us. You ever feel kind of lost trying to make sense out of what the Bible's saying? I know you're not supposed to say that in church. That doesn't sound very spiritual. But the truth of the matter is everybody feels that way at times. Like, to what? We can feel that way when we go to the Scriptures. But the Holy Spirit takes what Jesus says in the Word, and he suddenly personalizes that in ways, ways that where we go, wow, I get it, and that means so much now. The passage that Charlie read from in our call to worship goes on to say, people who don't have God's Spirit do not accept the things that come from his Spirit. They think these things are foolish. They cannot understand them because they can only be understood with the Spirit's help. You've got to have the Holy Spirit to understand it. That's why Jesus said in, in that same discourse that we read from earlier in John, the Helper, the Holy Spirit will come, the Spirit who reveals truth. He will make sense out of the words of Jesus here and how Jesus is speaking in the world around us. Secondly, He will remind us of what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 14, the helper will teach you everything and cause you to remember what I have told you. This helper is the Holy Spirit. The things that you have read in the Word and the things that you have heard read from the Word and the things that you have heard preached and that you've heard pressed into in a small group, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit will take those things that get put in us and over time when we face a situation where we don't know what to do, He'll draw back from that and in that moment you'll remember that teaching, you'll remember that truth. And it may have been six months or six years ago, but suddenly, it speaks to this situation. That's the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing I want you to remember in that. You greatly expand how much you're going to hear from the Holy Spirit when you expand how much of the Word you've been exposed to. That's why we need to read it every day. We need to be under the teaching of God's Word. We need to be in places like small group where we're getting more and more of the Word. And now God just has this incredible pool to draw from to remind us of things. Holy Spirit does that all the time. And then thirdly and finally, he speaks by giving us just these inner nudges and confirmations. These are mental impressions where just in the deepest part of you, you, you just sense something. You just know something. And I'll say at first, earlier on in your Christian experience, these are the ones that are trickier to discern. The longer you live and the more responsive you are to them, the, the quicker you'll just realize that was the Lord nudging me in that. Romans 8.16, Paul says, God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. There's just going to be a ton of times in your life where you just feel that, that something from within you, and it's not based on what you're reading around you. You just sense it in the deepest part of you. You get a, an impression to do good to somebody else. You just act on it. And the, the more often that you act quickly on that, it's like muscle memory the more that becomes a natural response and the better you become at reading those things, the Holy Spirit giving you those nudges. So then how do we do that? How do we actually engage so that we actually tune into what the Holy Spirit is saying and we let him guide us? Just five things, and I'm just going to fly through these and, and we'll be done. But the first one is you've got to pause and be quiet. 
It doesn't mean every time you hear the Holy Spirit you have to pause and be quiet in that moment. But we have to have little windows of time. I think it helps to have a little time every day to pause and be quiet in God's presence and center back in on his voice. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still and know that I'm God. In Isaiah 30, 15, he says, In quietness and confidence will be your strength. We've got to have times where we push back the noise to dial into his voice. I will tell you one of the things that, well, a couple of things that I do in my quiet time when I just get alone with the Lord. Some of you are going to think I'm turning into a good Catholic here when I tell you this. I'm I'm not, but... um, I need things that help me focus and center in on him. And so a couple of different practices that I have adopted is for the duration of my quiet time, I light a candle that stays centered in front of me. It's not because there's Jesus is in a candle. I'm not saying anything like that. But it's a signal for me when the candle is lit, I don't answer any texts. I don't respond to any messages and I don't answer the phone. This is, that defines for me quiet space. Nobody, nothing gets to interrupt while the candle's lit. This is just Jesus and me time. Now, in my quiet time, I do three things. I read the Word, I pray, and I meditate. I shut up and listen, try and listen for the voice of God. I struggle the most with a third of those because I like to talk and I have a hard time listening. So the other instrument that I use for the listening time is I've always got an hourglass in my quiet time space. And when it's just my listening time, I flip the hourglass. And I don't get to talk and I don't get to read while the hourglass is going. I just have to be still and quiet in his presence. A lot of you are better at it than me. That's why I need the little signals. The candle's still lit, so don't answer those messages. There's still sand in the hourglass. Stop, you know, running to other places and just... Be still and quiet in his presence. Number two, ask the Holy Spirit to guide me and expect him to do that. Psalm 25, 9 says, God guides the humble in what is right and he teaches them his way. Psalm 27, 11, teach me, O Lord, what you want me to do and lead me down the right path. If you'll ask him, he will guide you. James 1, 5 says, if you lack wisdom, you just ask him in faith and he will always give it. It's the Holy Spirit guiding you. But you've, he says, you can't doubt. You've got to believe that God's going to guide you. And here's the trick. When you ask, now connect what you just asked for wisdom on with what happens next. Watch for what happens and connect the dots. Number three, be willing to do what he says. This means you sign the blank check in advance. We don't get to say, God, show me what to do, and then I'll evaluate whether that sounds like a good plan or not, and I'll get back with you. Don't expect any wisdom if that's the plan. Commit to whatever he's going to show you in advance. Jesus said in John 7, whoever is willing to do what God wants and chooses it will know if what I teach comes from God. We choose in advance and commit to do what he says. Number four, look into God's word every day. Because it's going to be a big part of how he guides us. Psalm 119, David says, Your word is a lamp to guide me and a light for my path. Guide my steps by your word so that I will not be overcome by evil. Constantly getting into God's word. And then finally, wait for God to speak. Don't pray and then go, Well, I've got to do something. And then just go run with whatever comes to mind. Be willing to wait. Job says, God does speak sometimes in one way and sometimes another even though people may not understand. We will understand if we are listening and waiting. The thing that amazes me the most is not just that the Lord is consistent and that His Spirit always knows what we need, but it is how creative He is in speaking and revealing Himself. I'll share one final story, and I promise you I haven't lost my mind, but you may think so with this story. But 
I've been wrestling with a, a situation for some time now, and it's one that's really been on my heart. It's been on my heart a lot this week, and it's a complicated situation involving you know a number of other people and and people that I care about, and and I just really want to know whatever God's saying, what my role should be, and you know what I should say in this situation, and it was just heavy on my heart this week, and. Kind of out of the clear blue, I normally have my quiet times in my office at home, and I just felt that inner nudge, go to the bay. The bay is just one of those places where I have had a lot of profound encounters with the Lord. So I went to the bay to have my quiet time. I spent a good bit of time in the Word, and I'm still just wrestling with this issue that's on my mind. I don't know what to do with it. And I try and just shift gears into prayer mode. And I just really couldn't pray. It wasn't that there was like some lingering sin or whatever. You just ever just have something so heavy on you that you just kind of, words won't come. And so I just went. All right, God, I'm just going to be quiet. I don't know what to say. You know what's on my heart. I really just need your help and guidance. And so I'm just sitting there waiting. And I'm, I'm at the bay at the, the uh, Duck Pond Park area facing out over the bay. And I'm telling you, just as clear as anything, I sensed the Holy Spirit saying in the deepest part of me, watch the birds. I'm not a bird watcher. But a big flock of Canadian geese start coming up the bay right in front of me. And again, I just watch the birds. And I'm thinking, okay, this is pretty weird. I will watch the pretty birds. And I'm, I'm looking at the birds, and I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? And I'm telling you, out of nowhere, I can't explain how, except in the deepest part of my nowhere, I suddenly, there were three birds that stood out in that whole flock. And the Lord named those birds. One of them was me. And two of them were different friends in my life involved in this situation. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. All right, I'll watch the birds. And over about the next 60 seconds, these birds, I'm not going to share the specifics because it wasn't a word for you. It was a word for me, and, and it wouldn't be appropriate right now to share all the specifics. But these birds started doing something really specific. And I'm like, holy smoke, about a minute into it, I realized I just watched a picture acted out of what has gone on for the last year or so and I was like that was really cool God it was almost like a little trick and so I'm thinking what well, that was neat thank you Jesus all I heard in my spirit was keep watching now the birds are front and center in front of me and and now something radically changes about what I'm watching a whole other it's like a whole other act of a play and I, re- I mean, I'm getting chills even just remembering it because I realize what I'm watching now is not what's happened in the last year. It's what's happening right now and what's about to happen in the immediate future. And I'm just kind of blown away and I'm going, wow, thank you, Lord. That was really incredible. You obviously are speaking through a bunch of birds. In my spirit, I just hear again, keep watching. They're continuing up the line. And now something completely changes about what's going on. I'm like, there's a third act to this play. And I realize immediately the new thing that I'm watching is God showing me what is coming in the months and years ahead in this situation. And I'm blown away. It is so specific. It is so clear. Now I'm like getting a crick in my neck because the birds are getting on up the bay. And I'm like, I want to get all I can. And immediately just an incredible peace came over me. I'm no longer carrying the burden of figuring things out. It was like the Lord said, you don't even have to worry. I already know and have a plan for what has happened, what is happening, what's about to happen, and what is coming on down the line. And you just rest in that. Through a flock of birds. 
I don't even like birds. I tell you that silly story just to say God will find creative ways through people, through what you read, through nature, through circumstances. But if you will seek him, his spirit will become a guy who is so personal, so real, so detailed. He wants to take you through every part of life. But you have to choose what's going to be your guide. Is it going to be your intellect? Is it going to be you just wandering around figuring it out? Are you going to let your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend be your guide? Are you going to just settle for a book being your guide? Or are you going to press into the God who is personally wanting to be with you and lead you? It's up to us. We have to choose. I want to encourage you today to press into the one who will be your personal guide in life. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe the whole idea of faith and religion has just been a foreign concept that you've read about and been sort of skeptical of. It'll be the most life-changing step that you ever take if for the first time you cross over the line and say, Jesus, I need you and your forgiveness and your spirit in my life. Not just making things right from the past, but leading me from this point forward into the future. Why don't you join me as we turn to him together in prayer right now? If you're watching and listening online, would you just bow together with us in prayer? Jesus, we, first of all, we just bow with grateful hearts and say thank you for being truth. Thank you for being our teacher and our guide. Thank you for being one that we can trust. And I thank you that when you return to the Father that you sent such an incredible gift in the person of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that for every one of us who enter into a relationship with you that you give us this amazing gift of your spirit working in us, changing us, leading us. Would you forgive us for all the times when we've tried to just have control of our own lives and figure it out on our own? We confess that for what it is. It's sin. It's rebellion. If that's where you've lived maybe a major portion of your life, would you just join me in making that a confession to God and just ask his forgiveness for trying to manage and control what wasn't yours to control? And Jesus, we ask you not only for your forgiveness, but we ask you now for a fresh start. Thank you that you offer us a clean slate. And we pray for the filling and the leadership of your Holy Spirit in our lives. If you've never before trusted Christ, why don't you let today be the beginning point? It's not complicated. Just from your heart, why don't you just say, Jesus, I need you. I want to learn to trust you. I want to learn to follow you. Would you forgive my sins? Would you put your spirit in me? Would you begin to lead me now? Lord, I pray that today, for some of our hearts that have maybe become sort of cold and dead and skeptical, I pray that you just blow our doors off right now by speaking fresh, personal words of revelation about what it is that you're saying, what it is that you want to do. We want to let go of dreams that are our size and our flavor. We want to see God-sized dreams birthed again in our hearts and minds. So we just give you permission. Holy Spirit, come. Come and breathe fresh words over us today. Words of hope. Words of correction. Words of direction and instruction. Holy Spirit, would you please come?
You're not limited to the people who are in this room, people who are watching and listening online. We all need you. Or we just speak fresh words in our hearts. We, we open ourselves up to that. And we pray with expectancy in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, we would love to, the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.